Welcome into another episode of the Edge Kingsland podcast, Lockdown Edition, and we're continuing our conversation exploring the idea of holiness with a W. In other words, we're asking the question of what, what it really means to be human uh, and, and how our spirituality and our faith intersects with that question and how we can cultivate ways of being and believing and, and behaving and practicing and relating that lean into this idea of humans as created for harmony with God and self and others creation, what we often call the, the Imago Dei or the image of God, this idea that uh, we can come to um, curate those things in our lives that help us discover uh, real humanness in, in light of that story, rather than seeing ourselves as these fundamentally depraved and evil people, instead seeing ourselves as grounded in this story of beauty and wonder and wholeness and then having to navigate the complexity of our real lived experience and how it intersects with some of those ideals. And so in the last session, we talked about the idea of sustainability with Clint and with Sophie, two members of our EDGE community, who are looking at the ways in which uh, their lives intersect with both their faith and their relationship to creation and to sustainability in ways that can reshape practices of life in relation to the earth, in relation to living in relationship with the earth and with our fellow creatures and in, in ways that aren't abusive and, uh, and kind of toxic, uh, but instead um, healthy and sustainable. And we want to continue that conversation in this episode. And so today we're talking to uh, some more people within our Edge Whānau. Uh, I'm going to be talking with Moni Hogg about some of the decisions that she's made in her own life in relation to uh, some of these questions, and I'm also going to be talking to both Jaira and Andrew Stitt, father and son combo. Uh, Jaira, uh, who's you know who's a young man uh, who, as a teenager, made the decision to go um, in the direction of veganism, and how that's impacted their family, why they made those decisions, uh, how that's flowed into other areas of their lives in terms of sustainability. So, um, so first up is going to be the conversation with Moni, and we're going to be having a great chat with her, and then we're going to flow into the chat with Jaira and with Andrew. And uh, just before we jump in. To those conversations. One thing I should say is I found personally both of these conversations challenging to have. Um, these guys have made decisions uh, that, you know, are really concrete practice rather than just sort of abstract ideals. And and I find that challenging and I find that confronting in, in some respects and it's a bit uncomfortable. And yet these are the very real conversations I think we need to be having as a faith community in particular. And so um, if you find that uh, these conversations make you feel a little, bit, a little bit squirmy in your seat. Like, that's okay. That's okay. Just sit with that feeling and allow it to um, tell your story. Uh, so here we go. Let's, let's dive in. So I'm joined now by Jaira Stitt and Andrew Stitt, a son and father combination, for a little bit of a conversation. Yeah. And um, thanks for joining me, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no worries, Christy. On this lockdown evening. Uh, so, Jaira, I want to start with you. And uh, let's talk a little bit about your decision uh, to 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 make a life um, choice, I suppose, around uh, becoming vegan, and when you made that decision, uh, and and what kind of motivated you to do that. So let's let's start with that question for you. Um. So about early last year, uh, I I decided I'd become a veganist, and I slowly transitioned to vegan, and this is after I became aware of how like big of an impact the agriculture industry had on climate change. And over time, I found more and more reasons to, you know, 
keep following this kind of lifestyle. Yeah. So when you say you started vegan-ish, and uh, what what was vegan-ish for you? Uh, so after 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 I found out about these things, um, <laughs> I, I I wasn't really buying the food. <laughs> yeah. My family. So uh, we I decided that I wouldn't. I would be, I wouldn't purposely buy meat or any dairy or mm-hmm. egg outside of home and I would only eat it if I was offered. Yeah. <laughs> and my family adapted that with me and most of them still kind of keep to that idea. But I decided I needed to one-up them. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I decided I'd fully commit. Yeah, but that was after maybe one or two months. Okay. Uh, and so, when you say you you found out about you know the agricultural industry and all that was going on there, uh, how did you find out about that stuff? And 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 why do you think it had such a big impact on you? Well, <laughs> the way we found out was through um, my dad's sister. Uh, she recommended us a documentary on Netflix called Cowspiracy. Now that sounds really bad right <laughs> off the bat. Because it's got conspiracy in the name, and <laughs> I ended out, I ended out, <laughs> I ended out doing like maybe an hour of like looking around and fact checking, and they did overly like cherry pick certain data points. But I did end up finding that like it still had a massive effect, the agriculture industry, on climate, on the climate. So <laughs> after. After like looking around for a little while, I decided, yeah, this is, I should do this, you know, become more sustainable. Yeah, awesome. So, uh, Andrew, what, what did that uh, when when Jaira started making this shift and this decision? How were you a? Uh, where were you at with with that whole conversation at that point in time? Yeah, so I think I felt the same way um, Jaira did. Um, I, I wanted to make some changes. Um, for me, I just. I guess for me, it's a, I just, I don't, I don't want to be, I can't really live with myself contributing to, you know, something that's ruining the planet or ruining, uh, you know, just, I just can't keep taking from this world and not giving back. Mm. Um, yeah. So for me, it's kind of like a, just, I need a clean conscience. <laughs> I just couldn't justify, um, yeah. And, and recognizing that, you know, uh, yeah recognizing um just the impact that um that eating meat has on biodiversity and on um on emissions um i just yeah i realized that that was just cutting meat out of our diet was going to make a big difference Mm. um uh, and yeah it was quite a difficult transition because me and jara felt quite strongly about it but the rest of the family not so much yeah um and uh and then so i would but often I'd go shopping, so I'd go shopping and I'd buy just all all vegetarian, all vegan <laughs> for the week, you know. And then everyone would complain, like, well, "Where's the cheese?" You know? um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of fighting that went on early on. Um, so yeah, um, uh, and we still fight a little bit um, in the family, um, but we've we've kind of kind of got to a point where we're kind of. Yeah, we we don't really eat meat, but there's still a little bit of cheese that goes around, and uh, I've had to, I've had to um, try and accommodate, try and accommodate the others. 
<laughs> yes. um, and sometimes even buy a dairy product, you know, when I'm at the store, mm -hmm. you know, um, Life is about compromise sometimes, I suppose, isn't it? Sometimes. So yeah, it's hard to have it's hard to compromise when when there's big things at stake. You know? Yeah, yeah, right. And so um because these are big, kind of important, potent issues, um they they do become things that that really grip you you know and and become yeah. something that's very very important um have you seen this kind of you know in a, in, a, in adopting this you know maybe for you Jaira or, or for your family or for you Andrew um has this spread to other bits and pieces of your life like I see you guys cycle everywhere and I <laughs> and I was just like I just assumed you guys loved being fit and cycly <laughs> um but is that is that actually connected to the sustainability conversation as well for, for you guys uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I've, I've tended to boycott the car rides and bike on my own. Often mm -hmm. it, it does get a bit of backlash because I, I do make things a little bit harder. <laughs> and other people are like, oh, now I feel like I should be biking. <laughs> you know, it's a guilt trip mm -hmm. to be sustainable sometimes. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah actually, that, that's one impact. Um, when we. When we really live by our, uh, by our convictions, it, other people feel like, um, yeah, they feel like we're looking down on them or they're being judged or, mm. yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's, that's quite hard, um, trying to navigate that space when, you know, when you live, live to a higher standard, other people feel, other people, you can make other people feel uh, like they're second class or... Mm. Yeah, like we're looking down on them. Um, so yeah, that's that's been quite difficult. Just working out how to communicate, you know, what we're doing and why, without making other people feel bad. You mm. know? But we really, you know, yeah, I mean, we want to be evangelists, but we don't want to make people feel feel bad. You know, I think I think there was a it was quite hard for people to find the difference between us being excited about making a change and trying to convert them or get them to do what right. we're doing as well. Mm. And I wasn't, I wasn't trying to pressure and do this, but I did want to talk about it because mm. I found out about this new thing. So it was, it was, <laughs> it took me a while to realize that when I talked about it, people felt judged or like I was trying to change them. Right. Right. And so that's beyond just the family then. Is that like friends and, and, and your kind of wider community yeah, in terms of, yeah. <laughs> What about at school, Jaira? Like, is it is um are you is this a unique kind of path for someone of your age at school, or are you seeing other people doing it in in your kind of age and stage as well? Uh, I know I know a lot of my school is vegetarian mm -hmm. uh, for religious reasons. Okay, but I don't I don't think I know any other vegans mm. in my year. I did I did know one in intermediate, but they <laughs> yeah. Hmm. that's about it yeah um so so one of the kind of challenges to this whole journey for for both of you actually and is um how you express and live out this passion for this thing that you really care about without um whilst also negotiating relationships and community with people who aren't necessarily on the same page are there other um hard things obstacles or, or kind of challenges that that make this 
um, a challenging journey for you at times? Like what, what are the things that come up that are a bit tricky? Uh, yes, yeah, sometimes um, there's, there's some financial challenges. Um, yeah. Um, you think that eating less meat would be cheaper, but it's not not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah, or um, or even eating sustainably or eating um, um, morally consciously. Mm. Um, yeah, sometimes uh, there's a there's a cost to pay, and yeah, and I'm I'm looking at, and obviously it's quite it's actually quite cheap to run a petrol vehicle, um, and quite convenient, and mm. our whole culture is our whole culture is is um very heavily dependent on car ownership mm. uh, in new zealand and you know it's a rite of passage to to um learn to drive you know that's part of what what it means to grow up and get your first car and but mm. you know the, like the whole concept of car ownership is actually really really quite damaging to to <laughs> to the environment so <laughs> so like looking at alternatives to that i've been like trying to save money so i want to get everybody e-bikes or you know find find different ways of getting around or alternatives to using the car. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult, uh, because of weather constraints and, mm-hmm. and distance constraints, time constraints, you know, to really get the whole family on board. Um, and so, yeah, I find that that can be quite, quite challenge, a challenging space where I, sometimes I just give up, mm. you know, but I don't want to give up. <laughs> mm. Uh, yeah, mm. I need to feel like there's a way forward, and um, and maybe if you know, not if I know there's some people who've been doing this for thirty years, you know, and they're still you know campaigning. They they knew thirty years ago that that things need to change. Mm. And I'm really a late adopter, but I, I still want to find a way. I'm still yeah determined to find a way that we can all uh, live sustainably. Mm. And even if I yeah, so I'm I'm trying to find a way. Mm. Um, my, my grandmother who just passed away at the start of this year at 94, um, had been a vegetarian since she was a teenager, which for her like generation was very like radical and alternative, um, choice. But yes, she seemed to, she seemed to do all right. (laughs) She, uh, 94 is not bad. Um, so apparently you can maintain it for quite some time. Uh, okay. For, uh, for either of you then, um, or both. Does any of this intersect with uh, like faith for you? Is there, is there any way in which any of this intersects with a sense of spirituality or of what you believe about God or the world or or anything like that? Yeah, I guess I guess for me, um, it's it's a lot about just kind of that that global being a, a global consciousness or a global you know having a a sense that we're all connected. You know, mm. um, we're all connected and that we're not isolated and we're not just looking after ourselves but we're looking after everybody the planet you know that that yeah there seems for me that there's a it's it's much bigger than just myself you know what's going on here and i feel like yeah my higher power or god is is it feels like this is the direction um that he wants to take me and I feel like it's the direction he's want, he's needing to take all of us, you mm. know, basically into sustainable living, in a way where we where we live our lives and we're not just keep on we don't just keep taking from the earth and never giving back. Um, it just you just can't can't keep that up <laughs> forever, <laughs> especially 
with the populations we have. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's, I guess, yeah, it's it's about that kind of global consciousness, you mm. know, that I feel like I'm part of, uh, which to me is about spirituality and it's about um, God kind of having his way or the God, or the kingdom of God, really. Mm. It's the kingdom of God coming to earth, you know, that... Um, 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 that's you know, going right back to the garden, I suppose, you know, um, looking after this place mm. <laughs> because it looks after us, you know, mm. it, the, the earth has sustained us and looked after us. And now, and we, we just keep taking and taking and never give back. So mm. we've got to, we've got to learn how to give back, uh, and not take so much. Awesome. Did you have anything you want to say on that, Jaira? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> that's I all didn't good. Know. Wait, could you repeat the question? Yeah. <laughs> Every like you talk for a while, but I get, I get confused. Look, you, you, slowly, you slowly drifted off while uh, while your dad talked on, eh? Fair enough. I'm sure it's not the first time that's happened. Um, so it's, it's really how how does any has does any of this connect for you with any kind of faith or spirituality um, stuff along the way? Um, yeah, I, d- I don't think I've I've really tried to connect mm. my faith or spirituality with sustainability or veganism like <laughs> i guess i never thought it was important to connect the two mm. of them for me no, that's all good thanks um well i'm enjoying uh look just the warmth of the fire in the background uh <laughs> that's making me feel cozy and um <laughs> It's really just, it's really beautiful to have this kind of conversation and to hear uh, the kinds of things that you're not just talking about in abstract terms, um, but finding ways to change your actual real lives in very tangible and real ways. And, um, and that takes, I think, a certain kind of courage because it, it, is, it is a life of making decisions that, that push against the flow, so to speak, you know, of, of things. And um, and so you know, I find it a, a challenging and encouraging and inspiring conversation to have. So thank you to both of you. Yeah, thank you. No worries, <laughs> Thanks for hearing our stories. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now I'm joined by Moni Hogg. Lovely to talk to you today, Moni. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Michael. Yeah. And so we're going to be talking uh, with Moni today about some of the decisions that she's been in the making over the last period of time around really the, the way in which she uses her resources and the way in which she engages with the world of purchasing. So Moni, why don't you tell us a bit about the decisions that you've been coming to in that space? That'd be, that'd be great to hear. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking me to share. Yeah, I... I bought an apartment at the beginning of this year and and I must admit it it got me thinking about you know how much money I'm spending obviously but I've been on a bit of a journey for some years around becoming as minimalist as I can and this year I've decided that I'm permanently going to not spend money except on consumables and potentially any necessary repairs or maintenance or absolutely necessary uh, replacement of capital items, but really to, to not purchase other than that anymore. And, you know, that really includes, you know, all household items, furniture, 
certainly any more properties. Uh, like just a small example, which seems insignificant, but you know, like I've got kitchen knives that could do with replacing by the normal world standards, but I've decided I'm going to make do with what I've got. And you know, I really don't need anything else. I, I made the it came to the clear realization, I guess, that I have everything I need and I don't need anything more. And and I, and I really want to live in that space from now on. Amazing. Uh, so when you think about that process, and you said it, you'd been thinking about minimalism for for some time. Obviously, as a, we often don't we don't go from zero to to a hero on these issues most of the time there there's something kind of taking place in us over time so where did that begin for you what what started you off on the process of of thinking about minimalism and heading toward the kind of decision you're you're finding yourself at now yeah I grew up my I grew up with my mother and she was quite a frugal person and very down to earth she was really a bit of a hippie actually you know back in the 70s and what have you and we didn't have a lot so I kind of grew up like that but I've over the years become obviously more concerned about environmental issues as most of us are these days and in particular there was a point that I decided to do this little experiment it was my landfill experiment right mm -hmm. so back five or ten years ago I was doing a lot of teaching and one thing and another I, I go into a lot of different workplaces and I certainly did at that time decided to find out what people's knowledge and understanding is around and fill and where their own personal rubbish goes you know what the connection is between what they put out at the curb each day and where, where that ends up and I decided not to do any research on where my rubbish went. I decided to ask everyone I could think of as I went, went about my travels, both personally and at work, and find out how long it would take to discover where my rubbish went. Right. And I'm ashamed to say that it took three years, which is kind of crazy, right? Wow. Seriously crazy. Wow. Yeah, and... It actually came, it all came to an end on this particular day. I work in industry where I got a lot of um, speaking events and what have you. And we had the one of the senior managers from the Enviro Waste, or I can't remember the name of them, you know, the council's hmm. uh, recycle crowd or whatever. I can't remember who they were really. And I thought, right, this is an opportunity. I'm going to go up to this event and I'll ask the question there where does my, my exact rubbish go? And at the end of this event, I put my hand up and asked the question. I said, look, I've been doing this experiment for three whole years and I've arrived here at this moment to ask this very, very important question of you. And, oh, my gosh, the guy totally brushed me off. He said, uh, look, we don't tell people where their rubbish goes. And furthermore, we do that because people wouldn't sleep at night and it's just better off that people don't know. Oh, my gosh. So that's the answer. Wow. Uh, and so to this day, I don't know. I didn't, don't know where that particular um, address where I was at, where the rubbish went to. So I, I find that fascinating that there's mm. such a disconnection between the waste that we create and what actually happens to it. Mm. And it's obvious to say that when you're disconnected from something, then you don't connect with, uh, you know, the, the consequences of your own actions. Mm. And... So during that kind of personal experiment, I also went on a journey of becoming more and more minimalist, really. And 
I'd already been doing stuff like if I bought a car, I would totally maintain it to the point where I could run it into the ground. And I'd had a car that kind of semi blew up and I actually got it rebuilt rather than buying a new one. And when I started going out flashing on my own, I only bought uh, secondhand furniture and I still do that to this day. But um, at the moment, it's taking it to the next level and really just bringing all consumption and spending down to anything other than what I absolutely need. Mm. Sorry, that was a long-winded explanation, no, no, wasn't it really? No, that's so interesting. Um, yeah, what's happened it, in my mind? <laughs> for many people, this would be, they probably experience this as a very radical thing, right? Uh, do, you, do you feel like a radical? Do you feel like this is... Um, you know, is that how you sort of see what you're doing here, or do you, or do you just see this as, I don't know, necessary action? I'm not sure. Ah, yeah, that's a, that's a cool question. Uh, I, to be honest, I don't talk about it a whole lot. Mm. I advocate around certain issues in other areas that I do talk about a lot and are part of what I would even call my personal brand, you know, the other things that I'm active with. But this is one that I keep quite personal. And it's just a personal choice, really. Mm. I mean, I'm vegetarian and what have you as well, and I've been for most of my life. So it, it, it kind of fits into the bucket of that's just how I live and it's just how I express my own values. And I, I, I kind of figure that the world will get there when it, it, it's ready. I... I I felt as though it's my particular calling to be part of the advocacy on it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's really cool to be able to share about it. Awesome. Um, one of the things that we talked about on the lockdown podcast a couple of weeks ago was the idea of embodiment and how, um, and, and sort of realizing in that conversation how easy it is to, um, especially as someone like me who deals in the world of ideas a lot, to, to swim in the world of ideas uh, and almost feel like that's the same as doing something, you know. So it's really interesting to have this conversation with someone who's just gone about making these decisions in their life in a very embodied and real uh, tangible, lived experience kind of way, you know. I think it's, um, it's, it's awesome. Um, how, how do you or do you see this as intersecting perhaps with your journey of faith or spirituality and, and how you think about that? Do you see any connections between those things? Yes, I do actually. Mm. And so my construct around my faith is slightly different to the traditional Christian route, even into more progressive ideals, really. I grew up with, uh, as I said, at some point when we were chatting before, a couple of happy parents in the 70s, right? And they got right into Eastern religion when I was growing up. So I grew up very much around a Hindu religious framework mm -hmm. and in my 20s and early 30s I spent a lot of time in discovery around those types of thinking and journeyed the world actually we spent six months in India and followed an Indian guru and the whole nine yards of it mm -hmm. and subsequently discovered Christianity and I sort of still stick with my roots of a more eastern framework around you know my faith journey and my relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit fits beautifully into that mm. 
as in the Hindu framework, you know, it's the, the Christian journey is actually the path of devotion. I mean, there are other paths, but uh, very much path of devotion. And that, that type of thinking and the Buddhist type of thinking do lean quite a lot on a kind of austerity and asceticism as a sort of a path to enlightenment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I guess if I'm honest with myself, I've probably been quite influenced by that. Mm. And that would definitely sit in the background in my subconscious mind as mm. to how I would have arrived at it in terms of making the choices that I have. Mm. And also that sort of, you know, just humbly trucking on and, and doing it. I, I can't say I'm perfect, though, you know, that I constantly berate myself because my recycling efforts are slightly random you know I'm sure I, I don't always get the thing in the right bloom and bed and I still haven't <laughs> got that right now. but uh I yeah I really um really tried to stay as minimalist as possible though mm. Mm. that's so interesting um perhaps as a as a last question here then on the back of all of this as you find yourself and as you have made these decisions in your life what are the kind of challenges and obstacles and roadblocks do you find yourself bumping into? Because I would imagine there are some, right, to make the kind of decisions that you are. And how do you how do you deal with those when they arise? Yeah, that's that's the best question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I think I've got a couple that I'm wrestling with, and you know I'm 48 and. You know, as a woman, there's quite a lot of pressure around it's a good old-fashioned thing, but colouring your hair, right? I mean, I'm on lockdown right now, nobody nobody can see, but there's a huge amount of peer pressure. It's not peer pressure really, but you know, it's I'm gonna be strong and say there's a patriarchal mm. construct around how women look and mm. you know, some expectations around that. And I'm really trying to work out where I'm going to stand on that with my new regime. And I haven't quite arrived at the answer. It's, it's a real wrestle in my mind. But going off and colouring your hair at my age starts to become really quite expensive. Mm. <laughs> so, well, it's quite a ticket item. And the other thing too is around, you know, the good old-fashioned things like travel and how you engage with, you know, how you're going to... Uh, earn an income and create a, create a construct around your business over time. I've got a friend who I kind of look up to a little bit. He would be in his mid-50s, I guess. And he's in a similar field to me. And, and he spends a lot of time doing the research and being quite an important part of the narrative in, in our industry. But he charges um, either $100 an hour or nothing for all the work that he does, which is extraordinarily low for the for the market rates. And he deliberately stays under the $60,000 income a year so that he doesn't have to charge GST to keep it really, really simple. And yeah, really lives an extraordinarily basic life to fit that kind of business model. So that's the other thing I'm wrestling with is how mm. I could set myself up to sit within, within that. Because I think... I'd really be able to push the envelope a lot with what I'm doing in my industry if I could create a business model that that would work for me around that. Mm. Uh, those are things I don't have answers to yet, but I'm working on them. Yes, yeah, so it's very much a journey, of course, unfolding journey. Mm. 
that's what I'm aiming for in the long run. Amazing. Mm. I think it's so like having this kind of conversation just makes you realize how or to the degree to which there's just kind of a a main way of thinking about life that has become mm. the dominant kind of Western s- script, right, for what life it looks like and what we should be about and how we should spend our time and our resources and what we should acquire and uh, how we should think about our careers and, and all of that. And uh, we swim in that so much that it's almost like that's the only way to see life. And as I'm having this conversation with with you, it's just it's so um, interesting and, and compelling to bump into these ideas that are, and not just ideas, but these ideas in practice that show us that um, there isn't just one kind of set script that we all just have to follow along with here but we actually do have options for the way that we live in the world and engage with it and and our ethics and the way in which we uh, treat the planet and each other and, and it's just really refreshing to to have this kind of conversation so thank you yeah no thanks for for asking me to share my thinking on that yeah i really appreciate it it's yeah, wonderful Thanks, Moni. Thanks very much. Cool. So there you have it. A couple of really good, robust conversations with people putting this into concrete action in their lives and looking at the implications. As I said at the beginning, uh, you may find those conversations um, challenging or confronting or curious or I don't don't know how you hear those. Um, But these are conversations we need to be having. And... uh, and regardless of exactly what practical steps we're taking, and you know we've heard from both Moni and also Jaira and Andrew there about different decisions that they're making in relation to these kinds of issues, uh, the, the challenge to us as people of faith uh, is, is, to, is to deeply reflect on the big questions of humanness and how our faith challenges us and intersects with us in those spaces. So uh, those are good conversations to have, and we're going to be carrying on our holiness series in the next episode of the Lockdown Podcast. So I hope I'll, uh, well, I was going to say I'll see you there, but I won't because I'm locked in my house. But maybe you'll hear my voice another time. See you then. (laughs) Ha, I said it again. I won't see you then. I will imagine you then.